Let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament as we continue. We're almost to the end of the book now. I appreciate Elliot Everett last week uh, guiding us through the opening verses of chapter 4. And we'll continue on with the time that we have now. And uh, it is Mother's Day, and I do want to mention I was thinking about this yesterday. I am here today without question because of a praying mother who lived and talked often about her faith, uh, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and loved him and loved to share her faith with others. Uh, she made worship a priority in uh, the life of my sister and myself. Growing up, our father was not a believer at that time. He became one late in life, but that did not slow her down. And she made sure that my sister and I were always in church that encouraged us to be involved in youth ministries and things like that. And so uh, though she died over 15 years ago, I thank the Lord continually for her and others like her. Never, never, never underestimate the impact you're having on your own children, uh, moms. Uh, we have a, one of our daughters has 18, two 18 month old twins. And every time I see her, I, I try to say, Rebecca, you are doing the most important job in the world. And the world doesn't see that, but all the time that you spend with these twin boys, this, uh, you, there's nothing more important and it's always behind the scenes. There's nobody there to applaud you or pat you on the back. As we come to the scriptures, we approach them as God's truth. If you wandered in here and perhaps come from a background in church that, that did not use the Bible or, or talk about the Bible, I was speaking with a local pastor some months ago, and he was asking me about a particular position that our denomination has, theological position. And he said, why do y'all have that position? I said, because that's what's taught in the Bible. And he looked at me with complete sincerity and said, but people don't know how to read the Bible. He was serious. He meant that, that a, a normal person cannot pick it up and read it and understand it. I read these words from John Lennox. He said, fictional gods may well be enemies of reason. The God, the Bible, the God of the Bible certainly is not. The very first of the biblical Ten Commandments contains the instruction to love the Lord God with all your mind. This should be enough to tell us that God is not to be regarded as an enemy of reason. After all, as creator, he is responsible for the very existence of the human mind. He created us to think. He gave us minds to understand and to reason. So as we come to the scriptures now, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And though we covered the opening seven verses last week, I'll read those through verse 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sentica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Last week, Elliot Everett led us through these opening admonitions. They've been called supernatural admonitions to rejoice in the Lord always, to let your gentleness be evident to all and not to worry, those three things. And there's a promise that comes with those in verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God never promises to take away our anxiety or our worries. He doesn't promise to give us a pain-free life. He doesn't promise to fulfill all of our requests. He doesn't promise to take away all of our problems. He just promises to give us a peace that will even be beyond our understanding, where someone could say, how is it that you seem so at peace in this situation? And your response would be, I don't understand it myself, but it's, it's from the Lord. One of the greatest inventors throughout all history was Thomas Edison. And Edison had an associate named M.A. Rosanoff. And Rosanoff had worked for over a year to find the formula to create a wax that would be soft enough but would not melt on which you could put a phonograph recording. For over a year, he had tried and tried and tried and tried, and it was failure, 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 failure. He said he pondered this day after day, night after night, trying to come up with a solution. And then he said, it came like a flash of lightning. I could not shut waxes out of my mind, even in my sleep. Suddenly, through headaches and dizziness, I saw the solution. The first thing the next morning, I was at my desk, and half an hour later, I had a recording in the softened wax cylinder. This was the solution. I learned to think waxes, 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 and the solution came without effort, although months of thought had gone into the mental mill. He was just thinking 24-7 about waxes, and the solution came to him. One person said, what we put into our minds determines what comes out in our words and actions. I was curious as to how many thoughts the typical human has each day. <laughs> and I found that there was a study done three years ago here in America in 2020. And the typical person has 6,000 thoughts a day. Now that may be all sorts of thoughts, but that's a lot. And this passage deals with our thinking that we're going to look at for the next few moments. First, the importance of your thoughts before as we look at verses 8 and 9. The power to think is one of God's greatest gifts to us. 
Most of the rest of creation functions through natural instinct, but part of being made in God's image is that we have the ability to think and to reason because God has given us this gift. So I want to ask you, do you use your capacity to think for the glory of God and for the spreading of the good news of his kingdom or merely to satisfy yourself? Secondly, observation about thoughts is that God knows your thoughts. The Bible frequently mentions that. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Proverbs 15 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Before God sent the flood to destroy the world in Genesis 6, 5, it said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Many, many, many other verses. Psalm 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. Isaiah 66, for I know your work and your thoughts. The Lord knows right now what you and I are thinking about. Now, that can be scary. That can be real scary. Third observation is the good news of Christ, the gospel, is concerned about your thought life. Part of the transformation that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives is that we bring every thought captive to Christ. Repentance involves turning our thoughts to God, a change of mind. So thinking is the essential part of conversion because it involves a change of our minds as well as our hearts. A fourth observation, your thoughts express who you really are. We can deceive ourselves, we can deceive other people through our actions. We can appear to um, be doing something or not doing something, but our mind may be uh, totally in the opposite direction. The Bible says the thoughts of your heart reveal who and what you are more than anything else. That's why Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, the Jewish lawyers, the religious leaders, had the outward actions down. Their actions would have reflect, reflected an impeccable life and even in their own personal ethics. They spent time in prayer. They wore special religious clothing. They kept the outward law. They fasted. They gave tithes. But these were all outward things. But Jesus warned them, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And so what the Pharisees really were was reflected in their thoughts, not so much their actions. It was in their motivations. R.C. Sproul said that each of us is really three persons. First is the person you think you are. Second is the person others think you are. And the third is who God knows you are. Well, what are we to dwell on in our thoughts? A few sermons ago, if you were here, I mentioned the verses that will come up next time in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, where the Apostle Paul says, 
uh, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. He said I, he, at this present time when he wrote this, he was in jail. So whether he was in jail or whether he was out of jail, whether he was surrounded by friends or surrounded by enemies, whether he had food to eat or whether he was hungry, whether he was in safe circumstances, whether he was in danger, he said, I've learned to be content. And so the principle there is our feelings are not caused by our circumstances. They are caused by what we tell ourselves about our circumstances. Your feelings are not caused by your circumstances. They're caused by what you tell yourself about your circumstances. And we can tell ourselves lies or we can tell ourselves truth. If you tell yourself lies and untruths, then you will believe lies and untruths. If you tell yourself you are foolish and cannot do anything right, you will believe that. And if you believe something, you will act as though you do believe it. And that is why your beliefs matter so much. So in verse 8, Paul gives a simple, I see it as a grid, a grid through which we should evaluate what our mind is thinking about. So in verse 8, when he says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, there's anything excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You have control over your thoughts. When we say, oh, I just can't help thinking about it. Yes, you can. You can choose not to think about it. I can choose what to think. And God wants us to make good choices for our own benefit. So what is on this grid? to think about. Here are some of the criteria. First, whatever is true, what is real, as opposed to what is false. Things of real substance as opposed to illusions. It begins with the truth about God, about eternity, about the cross, about who he is, about who you are, about the resurrection, about sin, about the final judgment, about Jesus. It's God's word. Christ said in his prayer for the disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In John chapter 8, when Jesus was confronting the religious leaders, he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Dr. Walter Calvert did a survey <clears throat> about worry, and it indicated that the things people choose to worry about, that only 8% of those things were genuine, that 92% of the things that most of us worry about were imaginary, never happened, or involved matters over which they had no control. Often we worry about things that are lies. They are, they are untruths. Satan is a liar and he wants to corrupt our minds with lies. The Holy Spirit controls our minds through truth. So the first criteria for evaluation of what I'm thinking about is, is it true? That's why it's part of the, the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. 
Secondly, he mentions whatever is honorable, whatever is of respect, noble, dignified, highly respected. We can choose often to distinguish between what is worthy of respect and what is not. And we should not allow our minds to dwell on things that are not worthy of respect. It doesn't mean we hide our heads in the sand, that we're not uh, savvy to what's going on in the world and, and be wise as serpents. But it does mean we don't focus our attention on dishonorable things and, per, and allow them to control our thoughts. He goes on to the next one, whatever is right, or uses the word just, righteous things, things that are right in God's sight. Honesty between you and people. Think of how we live in a world filled with deceit and craftiness and sleight of hand. But integrity should mark our dealings with others. Whatever is pure, morally clean and undefiled. The people in Philippi, is that we've talked a lot in the past about Philippi. It was a Roman, they lived as Romans there in this city. They were constantly attacked by temptations for sexual impurity, as we are. Obviously, they, you know, people today say, well, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have pornography back then. Oh, yeah? <laughs> many of the sculptures that we have uh, today, many uh, the, um, what do you call the drawings on the walls that they found? Uh, yeah. I can't hear, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mural, murals closed, you're getting warm. All right. They're pornographic in things that are uncovered. They had pornography, it was, it was often now viewed as, a, as great art, but it served the same purpose. Obviously, there's no place for that. And, and there's, there's no place for porno pornography. I still live. Young people, I'd like to tell you, I'm, I'm 67 years old, and I still struggle with images in my mind that I put there in junior high school with pornography. See, your mind is like a museum. Imagine this room is a, a museum, and you hang pictures in it. Here's, here's the problem. If it's a good picture, that's good. If it's a bad picture, guess what? It's still there. And now I've just downloaded garbage into my head that I can't get rid of. And you and I do the same. God's given us an amazing capacity for memory. So we have to be careful what we let happen. In counseling, I've had somebody for say, hey, it was, it was an awful situation between a husband and a wife and adultery. And he said, let me tell you why. I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear it. Just give me the idea. I got enough garbage in my head. Just, I don't need the details. So whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, meaning pleasing or amiable, that which is kind or gracious. And then he kind of sums it all up at, praiseworthy things which are highly regarded and well thought of. What are we to do with these? So if this is the grid, and then in verse 9 it says, think about these things. The idea is let your mind dwell on these things. Ponder these things. Marinate your mind in these things. Not a passing thought every once in a while, but continually. When I became a Christian over 50 years ago, 
the key area I was involved in, believe it or not, was, was music as a guitar player. And playing in bands was just, that's what I lived for. And I listen to all types of rock music. Well, I've become a Christian, and then I'm starting to be taught some wacky ideas about how to evaluate music, from the beat to the lifestyles of the musicians to the words of the songs. It just, and I, as a young Christian, I was trying to come to grips with how do I, how do I relate to popular culture? The same thing today. How, how do you relate then to movies and books and, and television shows and Netflix and music? And I was struggling because nothing made consistent sense to me with how, what should I be listening to? I'd talk to one person, they'd say, you really should separate yourself from that. I'd talk to another and say, no, I, it doesn't affect me. I'm sitting in Birmingham, Alabama with a well-known professional Christian band having dinner. I'd ask if I could come out. It's a long story, but I end up with the, and we're in a restaurant, and this guitar player and his wife are sitting there, and he made the comment that came from a book by Francis Schaeffer. He said, look, beauty reflects God, and some of this music by this particular band that was not Christian in any way is beautiful, and I can listen to that. That's the first time I ever heard anybody say that. Was a college student. That beauty, beauty and art doesn't have to come from a Christian motive. It still ends up glorifying God. So I, I got Francis Schaeffer's book. Is it Art in the Bible or the Christian and Art? I can't remember. A short little book and began to read on that. And I thought, this is the test. This should be the test. We sing hymns, great hymns here, that in many cases the composers, best we know of the music, were not Christians. But that doesn't affect the hymn. So my view is take this standard and use this, this formula. Is this true? Is this honorable? Is this just? Is this pure? Is this lovely? Is this commendable? And before I watch something, if you have Netflix or you're going to a movie or you're going to a concert, you're going to read the book, Ask if it measures up to that. And then in verse 9, he says, Think about these things, and says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that, the God of peace. He goes back then to what he said in the passage we saw last week, that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, because God is the God of peace. So I want to conclude with just a few practical suggestions. I would suggest to memorize verse 8. This week, it's not, it's not a long verse. You can memorize it and even have your children memorize it. Say this, look, you're, you're faced every day. You may make a decision or thought 6,000 times a day if that study was right. And what are the criteria as a Christian I want to use to filter what I think about, what I dwell on, what I ponder? And also read. 
Read things that stimulate your thinking. Of course, the Bible, church history, theology, missionary biographies. I mentioned a missionary biography a week or two ago on a podcast, and I was encouraged that some people contacted me this week. They were going to buy it, the one on John Patton, missionary to the New Hebrides. Charles Spurgeon counseled his students about reading this way. Master the books you have. In other words, if you have a few books, master those, read them thoroughly, bathe in them until they saturate you, read and reread them, masticate them, digest them, let them go into your very cell, peruse a good book several times and make notes and analyses of it. A student will find that his mental constitution is more affected by one book thoroughly mastered than by 20 he is merely skimmed. Little learning and much pride come of hasty reading. Some men are disabled from thinking by their putting meditations away for the sake of much reading. In reading, let your motto be much, not many. <laughs> Ask for God's help to bring change. There's a progressive nature to godliness. We grow in sanctification. So as we walk with God, as we in small bits have meals from his word, you might say, we grow like that spiritual tree in Psalm 1. Here are a few quotations in closing on the thought life. Francis Schaeffer said, the spiritual battle or the loss of victory is always in the thought world. Richard Sibb said, thoughts are the seeds of action. Another person said, in company, guard your tongue. In solitude, guard your thoughts. I like this one, but it's anonymous. A man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. <laughs> Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful that you've created us as thinking beings, as a reflection of your image. And we thank you that the transformation in Christ through coming to faith in him also involves our thinking, not just the outward actions. Help us even this week, those of us that are ensnared and, and uh, perhaps sinful or immoral uh, or vindictive thought patterns. We pray you'd help us even to evaluate these with these criteria the Apostle Paul gave us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.